Welcome to the Proper Lookout Podcast, published by the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. I'm joined today by Barrister Marco Nesbeth. Hello. And we're going to be discussing a case which we recently ran in the Supreme Court, which we believe provides some guidance for our industry regarding the power of a decision from a car's assessor to dismiss car's proceedings in circumstances where the claim is deemed withdrawn in accordance with Section 85B3 of MACA and where the plaintiffs can lodge a second claim form in an attempt to sidestep their statutory obligations. Yes, that's right, Renee. And there's also a bit of a close examination of what it means for a claim to be withdrawn and whether as a practical matter, the Motor Accident Compensation Act, in this case, as opposed to Maya, for example, permitted a second or indeed third or fourth claim to be brought pursuant to the same underlying cause of action. Thanks, Marco. Well, listeners, we'll give you a quick rundown of the facts. This was a 2016 motor vehicle accident where liability was admitted. The plaintiff obviously alleged injuries from this subject motor vehicle accident and brought a personal injury claim. There was an expanse of time where the plaintiff failed to answer several of the insurer's requests for particulars. The insurer legitimately deemed the claim to be withdrawn in accordance with Section 85B3 of MACA. However, after this, the plaintiff then expressed the desire to pursue his claim. The insurer advised the plaintiff that a CARS 5A would have to be lodged to reinstate the claim, as is Section 85B6 of MACA. The parties then lodged their respective submissions in reply, and a CARS assessor found that the claim should not be reinstated, and the claim remained withdrawn. Marco, can you tell the listeners about the reasoning behind the CARS assessor's decision? Yes, um, Section 85B6 requires that in cases where an application was made for reinstatement less than three years after the accident, as was the case here, uh, the court or claims assessor, depending on the circumstances, obviously, would need to be satisfied that the claim claimant had a full and satisfactory explanation for the failure to provide those particulars. Section 66.2 of the MACA provides a full and satisfactory explanation by a claimant for non-compliance with a duty or delay is a full account of the conduct, including the actions, knowledge and belief of the claimant from the date of the accident until the date the explanation is provided. Also, the explanation is not satisfactory unless a reasonable person in the position of the claimant would have been uh, would have failed to comply with the duty or would have been justified in experiencing the same delay. Um, in this particular case, an explanation was only provided for a portion of the time in issue. This was a case where seven requests for particulars were made over a period of 2.5 years, and also a formal request for particulars pursuant to Section 85B was made and not answered. The plaintiff in this particular case did not provide any explanation before the, the car's assessor. Um, as you've mentioned, the application was rejected and not challenged. Well, listeners, the story doesn't end there. The plaintiff solicitor then reserved the original claim form, an identical copy. 
We then wrote to the plaintiff's solicitor and rejected the claim on grounds that the first claim was deemed withdrawn and that a plaintiff cannot make two claims in respect of the same motor vehicle accident. And even if the second claim can be made, we advise that the claim was rejected on the grounds that it was made three years and three months after the motor vehicle accident and that the plaintiff had not provided a full and satisfactory explanation for the delay. We referred to the decision from the car's assessor and noted that lodging a second claim does not allow the plaintiff to sidestep the need to explain that inactivity. Some time passes and the plaintiff lodged a CARS 2A. The parties then went on to exchange submissions over a lengthy period of time addressing the validity of bringing the second claim. The principal claims assessor then dismissed the plaintiff's CARS 2A on the basis of the original CARS assessor's decision, noting that the claim was taken to be withdrawn and could not be reinstated. The plaintiff then attempted to lodge a further CARS 2A and the parties submitted further submissions. The PCA again rejected the plaintiff's second CARS application on the basis that the claim had been withdrawn. The matter then proceeded to the Supreme Court, where the court ultimately dismissed the proceedings for judicial review of the decision of the PCA not to arrange a general assessment of the claim made by the plaintiff. Marco, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about our submissions as the defendant? Yes. Now, in the Supreme Court, the plaintiff's main argument, or the main thrust of their argument was, that there's nothing in the MAC to prevent the commencement of another claim. And absent that sort of prohibition, he was entitled to bring another claim. Another part of the argument, which I suppose was captured by this, was uh, that the Act envisaged that a cause of action would be brought up to an end by means of settlement, whether it be an award of damages or ultimately a rejection of damages by a claimant. It was true that there was nothing in the Act to explicitly prevent the second or third claim being brought, but our argument was that the plaintiff's contention was too narrow of a construction of the Act, and it was necessary to have regard to the Act as a whole to ascertain the intention of the consequences of a breach of a provision such as Section 85B. In that regard, of course, we made references to cases such as Project to Blue Sky, which talk about the, looking at the language of the statute, its subject matter and the objects um, and the consequences of the complying with or not those provisions. Uh, we also submitted that the, the plaintiff's submissions were inconsistent with the objects of the Act to encourage early resolution of claims and provisions concerning the duties of parties to progress claims expeditiously. We also argued that the plaintiff's construction would render Section 85B and other provisions which contain similar language, such as Section 109 and Section 110, redundant if the plaintiff was entitled to effectively disregard our previous decisions and non-compliance and just effectively start over again. Thanks for that, Marco. Listeners, I'm going to take you through some of the questions that the court grappled with. The first question was whether a plaintiff can make a claim more than once in respect of the same matter. The plaintiff argued yes for two reasons. The first being because there's nothing in the Act expressly precluding a claim from being made more than once. And two, because of the terminology used to terminate the case. The court noted that the statutory scheme suggests two answers. 
The first answer is that the court found that the plaintiff had one claim relating to an incident which occurred at a particular time and place, and once disposed of, there was no power to make the same claim again. Furthermore, if a claim had been properly made and proceeded through various steps prescribed by the Act and is taken to have been withdrawn, that claim can no longer be referred for assessment. The court was quite clear about this as they said that the provisions of Section 72, 73 and 74 of MACA do not envisage repetition. There is no provision permitting one claim to be made twice or thrice or four times even. The current matter was not a late claim as the claim was made within six months of the motor vehicle accident. However, the delay instead lay in the failure to comply with the later procedures under the Act. In this case, the court noted that sending the claim form multiple times to the insurer is not making a claim, as his request for an assessment assumed that all relevant particulars had been supplied, which, as we know, was not the case in this matter. The court said that the plaintiff's case then required that all prior non-compliance with the Act must be disregarded. Importantly, the court noted that to imply the availability of such a course would be to subvert the scheme of the legislation and that cannot be accepted. Yes, Renee, that's right. In relation to the second point, that is terminology used, there was a significant focus during the hearing of this case about the language used that a case or a claim would be taken to have been withdrawn. And a distinction was drawn there with the language of dismissal. The plaintiff argued that the Act did not specify the consequences of a refusal to reinstate a claim. It was further argued that if the insurer's argument were accepted, the claimant would be precluded from bringing a claim in court, as the claim would not have been but wouldn't have proceeded to cars for assessment of damages or exempted as required by Section 108 of MACA. The clear language, it was argued, was necessary to deprive the plaintiff of his right to pursue a case, and the language of deemed withdrawal did not import such finality that the insurer sought to argue. It was further argued um, by the plaintiff that all that was withdrawn was a procedural step whereby the claimant had signified an intention to claim damages. The court noted that the statutory scheme had a highly prescriptive process which must be followed by a person seeking to make a claim for damages. For example, listeners, this would include the time within which claims were to be made, procedures for making late claims, the form the notice would take, as well as duties imposed on both an insurer and claimant. Another important aspect coming out of the case was that the court stated that the right to take and maintain judicial proceedings is usually constrained by time limits, non-compliance with which can result in the right being lost at an interlocutory stage without a hearing on the merits. Now, listeners, that's quite an important point and something that insurers can quote in their cases moving forward as precedent. Funnily enough, I actually utilize this important aspect from this case in another matter of mine, which is within the new scheme, so a Maya matter. So principles from this case can be used within the new scheme as well. 
Marco, tell us a little bit more about some of the other aspects that the court discussed with respect to the terminology. Yes. So in terms of the difference that I mentioned earlier, that is uh, deemed withdrawal and dismissal, the court accepted that there was a, a difference in that language. But consider that it was explicable on two bases. The first was that there was no judicial process that had been undertaken. And the second, um, that the case had not been determined on its merits. However, that wasn't necessarily the end of the inquiry, and it certainly did not follow automatically that a withdrawn claim somehow remained on foot. In this particular case, it, it was important that there had been a failure to comply with the obligations of sections 85 and 85A of the Act. This, through a procedure undertaken in accordance with the Act, resulted in the claim being withdrawn. The application, as we've discussed, had been rejected. The terms of Section 85B were clear, the court found. If the claim is withdrawn, there is no extent claim. Thus, no claim which can be referred for by either party for assessment. It therefore followed that there was no obligation or indeed power on the part of the principal claims assessor to make arrangements for an assessment to be undertaken because that power is conditional upon an extent claim being in existence. So it seems to me that if the principal claims assessor had made arrangements to refer the claim for assessment as had been requested by the claimant, she would have fallen into error. Which brings us to what decision ultimately was being reviewed by the court. Well, listeners, the court noted that whilst the parties had approached the matter on the assumption that the decision of the principal claims assessor not to refer subsequent claims for assessment as constituting the record of the impugned decision and the PCA dismissing the application for general assessment. However, the court reformulated the question as a claim amenable to assessment was a jurisdictional fact to be determined by the court. In circumstances where the refusal by the PCA to make arrangements for assessment is because there is no existing claim capable of referral by the plaintiff, the existence of such a claim must be a jurisdictional fact to be determined by the court. In this case, ultimately, the court found that since 2019, there had been no existing claim which could be referred by the plaintiff for assessment, and the failure of the PCA to make arrangements for such an assessment was correct. Marco, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about what the takeaway from this case is? Yes, Renee. This case, I think, reminds us that Requesting appropriate particulars, whether it be Section 85 in Macro or Section 6.22 in Maya, and ensuring they are provided is a crucial step, which should be both made appropriately and followed up. It is also a reminder that once a claim is brought, important duties are enlivened both with respect to a claimant and an insurer, which can have serious consequences in the context of default. The motor accident schemes are front-loaded, as of course we know, and it contemplates the early provision of particulars and documents, written statements, as well as attempts at early resolution. Particulars in this context and details of the claim are integral to that process. The acts have mechanisms for non-compliance with duties. Here, in this case, last uh, resort lied in Section 85B. In the context of Maya, it's Section 6.26. But of course, in the context of other defaults and other duties, there are other provisions which need to be borne in mind. Well, listeners, 
Another important takeaway is insurers should be deeming matters as withdrawn if Section 85B and Section uh, in MACA and Section 6.26 notices under Maya are not complied with. Furthermore, insurers should vigorously defend reinstatement applications if the chronology of the matters display willful non-compliance with statutory requirements, such as responding to requests for particulars. And this moves on to why this case is important. This case highlights there is real power behind Section 85B of MACA and Section 6.26 in Maya, as the court has affirmed that should plaintiffs fail to comply with statutory requirements in a timely fashion, then plaintiffs can permanently lose their judicial rights to pursue the claim. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Marco, thank you so much for joining me today. And we'll see you guys for another episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on anything discussed, please contact Peter Hunt at peter.hunt at or visit our website to see McCabe Kerwood's full team of specialists.